The AXPX Podcast is brought to you by Charming Beard Coffee. Go to charmingbeard.com and enter in the code AXPX when you buy a bag of their single roasted coffees and get 10% off of your order. Charming Beard Coffee, quality, small batch, single origin coffee for the discerning coffee drinker. Beard not necessarily required. Well, welcome everyone to the AXPX Podcast, episode 16. Thanks for joining us this week, and if you're a new listener, uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. I know we had a lot of new people tune in last week, and if you're carrying over from uh, the Seth Andrews Show, welcome. Um, I wanted to let you guys know exactly what the AXPX podcast is all about. It stands for the Armchair Philosopher, and basically it was created out of my kind of search for truth, and I wanted to, in, in, in a time of, of doubt for me, and I wanted it to be kind of a place, a safe place to have conversations with many people from all different walks of life, and so that's why I created the podcast, and if you listen from show one on, you hear throughout the sh- throughout the shows that Joey, Joey Avalos, became the co-host. What's up, Joey? How you doing, Sean? <laughs> Good. Um, it's been a it's been a busy week, and um, you know it's nice to to take a break and do these podcasts here. For how, sure, man. How about yourself? How has uh, how's your week been? It's been crazy, man. I've been doing these uh, been going to these events in um, Phoenix, Arizona, where I live, and a bunch of authors come to town, and a great bookstore here called the Changing. Changing book hands, uh-huh. changing hands bookstore. Sorry, and uh, yeah, today actually I, I got this. Uh, this author came in. I didn't know what to expect. Never heard of him before. My wife tagged me, made me tag along, and um, his name was uh, Corey Doctorow, uh-huh. and uh, he just wrote his uh, a sequel to this book called Little Brother, and now it's called Homeland. His new book, but he went on this rant, and I didn't expect this. You know, usually when you go to these author events, they just kind of tell you like, "This is my book. I'm gonna read a little bit. I'm gonna sign the book." carry on you know but this one he was going on like he has a real passion of activism uh-huh. in keeping technology and our uh, privacy you know um uh, from letting the government get too involved in that and he actually when his new book he actually had this guy named aaron schwartz some of you might be familiar with him he actually unfortunately committed suicide about a month ago oh, wow. in his in his brooklyn uh, apartment but a genius. Okay, I mean, this guy is the. He was a. He's a program. He was a programmer, an internet activist, but he was like sixteen or something, and was involved with developing the RSS feed. Huh. And he actually was programmed Reddit. It's a very uh, popular yeah. social website, and um, I mean, does a lot of stuff. But the government was always after him. Like he was always trying to find ways to like, you know, basically hack into the system, and you know, under the right laws. You know, they would create these laws to go against him or try to scare him into like, you know, 50 years in prison or whatever like that. But he would always get out of it. But this last time, they're really hitting him up on it. And I think it just drove him to basically suicide, man. Wow. And he he actually wrote the afterword to Cory Doctorow's new book and actually helped him with some of the uh, in and outs to his new fiction novel. And, and it's it's a crazy story. So if you haven't heard of him, look up Corey Doctorow, uh-huh. um, doctor with the O-W at the end of that, and um, 
hear what they're all about because they're really in trying to stop like you know those remember that um recently sopa pippa like those right. um internet things they right. they were kind of the the beginning of stopping that from actually becoming a law wow. and yeah so it's amazing man so anyways t- i know that uh, 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 anonymous that group um right anonymous was huge in that so. yeah exactly so it's interesting stuff <laughs> interesting weekend yeah yeah and you've also since we talked last i think you heard lawrence krauss uh speak was it lawrence right. krauss uh, well yeah global yeah. warming and things like that yeah, they uh, at ASU, Arizona State University, they have this thing called the Origins Project, and uh, Lawrence Krauss usually he's a theoretical physicist out of ASU, and he um, moderates a panel of he usually brings in esteemed scientists, anyone that's knowledgeable to the the subject that there or the topic to at the debate, and he brought in probably like six or seven panelists to join him on the debate of climate change, and they're pretty much the top of the top knowledgeable people in the world uh-huh. on climate change. Anyways, to briefly talk about them, they're like, climate change change is reality. It's not what's going to happen when the climate does change. It's been changing. <laughs> <laughs> and what we need to do, and it's really the catalyst they want to say is that our, our CO2 levels are keep on growing. So since the Industrial Revolution, I mean, we just spiked. It shows the numbers. We can look back now in time. It was slowly rising, and when the Industrial Revolution hit, it spiked to like wow. 20, 30 times more, like instantly overnight, okay? And then after that, it's been gradually growing. Yeah. And so what's interesting is that they had some engineers on the thing, on the panel, talking about ways to not just – we can't – we can't really stop it in a sense, but we can reduce the effects of our CO2 output. And what we can do, he's like, wants to raise money to create this um, device that you put at the back of your car. Like, you probably have heard of this stuff, you know, for your ex- exhaust pipes, where it actually captures the CO2. Huh. Or if they can't do that, create a device like those windmills when I go out to see you, <laughs> those big old <laughs> things out there yeah, out in yeah. California to be able to capture CO2 in the air and then throwing it back into the ground where it came from. So it's fascinating stuff, but the problem is is they can't get funding for it because these big old guys that actually, you know, that have the money to personally uh, invest in this stuff, it doesn't seem like a payoff right off. You know, it's really hard to get an investor to say, invest in this. Your payoff will be in 200 years or so, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I keep hoping they'll come up with, uh, you know, in the movie Aliens, where they talk about terraforming and they put these big old things, you know, right. terraform a planet. I'm like, we need to think about something like that for the Earth. <laughs> exactly, man. So, I mean, it's wild stuff and it's just tough, That's man, because when they'll they'll put into say like, well, I raised, um, I was able to raise $8 million for that. Yeah. Really, it's not a lot of money. And he goes, then, you know, the starting pitcher for uh, the Yankees makes $30 million. you know, yeah. go go figure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy. Um yeah, I'd love to talk about stuff like that in a future episode, and uh, I want to kind of rattle down the future episodes that we have coming up. Um, I think next week we're going to be talking to Ben Smith, who has a Christian brewery, so that'll be very interesting. He's an ex-Baptist pastor uh, who is now a brewer, so it'll be interesting talking mm. to him. And then after that, we'll, the following week, we'll be talking to Steve Wells, and I briefly mentioned him on the last podcast. He wrote a book called Drunk with Blood, God's Killings in the Bible, which I have in front of me right here. It's, uh, it, it proposes that God has killed over, let's see, two, 
million or two billion four hundred seventy six wait two million four hundred seventy six thousand six hundred and thirty six people in the Bible, uh, and Satan has only killed ten. <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, interesting look at uh, at the Bible. And he also wrote uh, something called the Skeptics Annotated Bible, which is basically like King James Version, but with all the passages that, you know, skeptics can go to and contradictions and stuff like that. And he, I, I'm not, I can't wait to talk to him about this. I don't know how long that could have, t- that could have taken, but yeah, um, kind of a huge undertaking. And it's, it's finally, co- it's been online, but it's finally coming out in a book form. So he also is going to be doing a book form of the, the Book of Mormon. Wow. As well. So he's been busy. It'll be interesting talking to him. And uh, and then coming up to, uh, right after this, um, I spent some time with my father-in-law, who we briefly mentioned on last week's podcast when I was talking to Seth. And I figured it'd be great to talk to him about his story because he's someone who suffered some horrible tragedy in his life. And it he kind of turned it around and, either, and even moved more towards God into his faith in God and actually took this horrible tragedy and turned around into something that's going to actually be beneficial for an entire community, um, which is a hospitality house called Jacob's House. So, um, so after this here, we'll be going into that interview. Um, so Joey, sorry, you're, you're cut out again, (laughs) (laughs) man. I, I, what's going on here, man. (laughs) It was, uh, you know, I know you're kind of hanging out in the background of the last podcast. And then, then like a jerk, I totally forgot to let you <laughs> talk at the end of the podcast. It's fine, kinda, man. This is your podcast. Uh, this so. is your podcast. I'm just glad you uh, invite me along, man. Well, for the record, I felt bad. I was listening to it back and I was like, oh, shoot. I just uh, I just ignored Joey at the end of that podcast. So I'm just going to create my own podcast. <laughs> well, I was thinking uh, in the near future, I think you and I should have a kind of a um, – a catch all type conversation on right. stuff that we've been thinking about lately. I think that'll be a fun conversation. So we'll, we'll get that scheduled shortly here. So, it can, so you and I can actually spend some time and kind of like dissect the past few podcasts, you know what I mean? And kind of throw our opinions out there and, and stuff that we've noticed. So perfect. All right. Well, Joey, where can people find you online? Um, I have a personal Facebook page. I usually don't <laughs> accept friends if I don't know you. So just go to twitter.com yep. forward slash Joey Avalos. All right. So we're going to move right now into my conversation with Sean Nelson. He's my father-in-law. Um, so if he says, I love you in it to me, he, you know, it's not weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, great guy, really their family is a huge inspiration to me and, and they've been kind of a, I feel like a grounding and kind of centering for me as I've been kind of going off and spiraling into a lot of doubts and, and really searching things out on my own. They've been kind of a centering, um, uh, they've really centered me a lot and I think, uh, it's, it's been great to bounce things off them. And just knowing their story, uh, their family is just a gigantic inspiration to me, and I hope an inspiration to any of you listening. So without further ado, we're going to move right into that conversation right now.
In October of 2006, the Nelson family was struck with the sudden death of Jacob Nelson. Jacob had just turned 24 when he was in a tragic car accident on his way to San Diego, California. On October 22, 2006, Jacob died due to fatal head injuries. Being at the hospital when Jacob died, the news hit me hard and changed my outlook on life forever. Even more so, Jacob's family would spend the rest of their lives dealing with the grief of their beloved son and their beloved brother, who was no longer with us. While some families can and do spiral out of control after a tragedy like this, the Nelson family has been an inspiration to people like me. They've had their struggles and doubts, and being a part of their family, I can say I've seen them at their worst. However, Sean and Stephanie Nelson made a commitment to somehow turn this into good, not just for themselves, but for their community. I'm talking with Sean Nelson today. He's written a book called Live the Sore, detailing a story, and he's here to relay his story to us today. All right, well, thank you for taking the time to, to, tell, to, you know, to tell us your story. Yeah, it's, it, it's great to be here, Sean. I wanted just to kind of lay the groundwork for you and your, and, and your story personally. So um, I know you do a lot of speaking engagements and you do talk about your, your, long, your young life. Can you, I guess, detail like life as a kid and, and growing up and when you actually became, be, became a Christian? Yeah, sure, Sean. Um, you know, that, my, my young childhood and, and the things that I went through as I was growing up has really had a huge influence on my life. And uh, the interesting thing is that um, I never knew or met my biological father which uh, I didn't find out until I was five years old that my dad wasn't actually my true biological father. And that had a huge effect on me because I always dreamed that one day my father would come and come find me and come talk to me or, or, or try to have a, a relationship with me. And, um, unfortunately, unfortunately that, that never happened. And, um, so I grew up in a good home though, a, a good, strong Christian home environment. Um, I remember the day like yesterday when I asked Jesus into my heart. I was nine years old and I was praying with my mom in, in La Harbra at a church. And I, I remember my mom telling me that there's nothing, Sean, that you have to do. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and all you have to do is ask him into your heart. And I remember the tears just coming down my face and I was probably nine or 10 years mm-hmm. old. And so that's always had an, a, a strong influence in my life. And, um, you know, like I said, we were in a strong Christian home, but going into the seventh grade, um, I remember my, my dad who adopted me took, uh, my brother, Mike Kelly and myself and took us outside my sister Kelly. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, it was a beautiful sunset outside and my dad told us that our parents were going to be getting a, a divorce. And I remember how much that tore me up inside that, my dad all of a sudden was 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 going to be gone. Um, he remarried. My mom also remarried. Um, and the uh, woman that that my dad married um, had three daughters of of, of her own. And um, he basically got wrapped up into his new family, which mm-hmm. those things happened. My um, my mom remarried, and they took us from La Harbra to a place called Yucca Valley, which is which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I was a freshman in high school when that happened. And when I got into my teenage years at a time when I really needed a father figure, unfortunately, my dad was out of my life. And that had a huge um, negative impact on me. But the one thing that 
that really saved me, Sean, was that I had a strong relationship with with, with my grandfather, mm-hmm. Grandpa Armour. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was a kid that always longed to have my dad at, you know, sports functions and whatever, but my grandfather took that place. And my grandfather missed nothing. He mm-hmm. was at my practices. He was at all my games. And so my grandparents had a real strong influence on my life, but it, but but especially Grandpa Armour. And so I, I he kind of took the place of the dad that I really was missing at that time. And uh, I learned at a young age that when I grow up, I want to be just, I want to be the man like like my grandfather was was was, was grandpa your your grandpa armor was he a christian as well do you did, did he lay kind of a foundation there as well or what did you know what he was but he 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 was a he was a a strong christian but he was a christian indeed uh-huh. my grandfather uh my grandfather was a custodian at the church he was the one that would be behind the scenes cleaning the offices cleaning the uh the the main uh assembly area. That's just the way he was. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those behind the scenes, quiet champions. I just, I, my, my grandfather was the most amazing man. And he was a person that lived a Christian life, not based on what you say, but what, I, but, but what you do. And I really view him as being kind of a, a minister of God without ever really talking about mm-hmm. it, but just living it. Wow. So, um, so moving through high school and everything and, and um in into your marriage and, and family, how did you bring, you know, the kind of the groundwork that your your mom and, and your grandpa armor and, and yeah. those in your life? What did you bring into, you know, your family life as a as a young dad? You know, it's interesting when when uh Stephanie and I got married, um I was twenty and she was nineteen. So we were kids, we had nothing, and uh my grandfather was always a hard worker as well. And so one of the things that I decided really right right in the very beginning was that I wanted to make sure that our kids knew the importance of family, knew the importance of love. And for me, the way to do that was to tell them stories about Grandpa Armour. And I talked about him all the time. I mean, all the time. And, <laughs> and when he passed away, I think our, I think Jacob was two years old at the time. Jennifer was one, and I don't think Jacqueline was even born yet. But I made a point in those early and formative years with the kids, I talked to them over and over and over again about the importance of having a relationship with Christ, about how important it is to have a strong family love and bond, and tell them about the amazing, wonderful person that Grandpa Mm. was in my life. And I wanted to... I had this... I had this genuine desire to be the father to the to our three kids that I didn't have, but especially a special connection with the son because, like I said, for me, not having my dad at 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 all those things that that were so important to me, I wanted to make sure that I was able to do that with our kids. And the one thing I can say is, even though we did have the tragedy with Jacob, I can honestly tell you, Sean, that that um, I have absolutely no regrets in the way that we raised the kids and that whatever mistakes that we did make, it was always with the best of intentions. And I have nothing but wonderful relationships. And, and uh, Stephanie and I, we poured ourselves into our children and, and, and um, 
It was the best times of our life. Yeah. Well, uh, do you have like a favorite story that you would tell the kids of of Grandpa Armour? Oh, you know what? <laughs> I, I, a lot of things I would say. He and he and I used to watch sports all all yeah. the time, and and you know he would he would say stupid things like, "If this guy gets a hit, I'm going to stand on one hand and kick both feet in the air." <laughs> you know, just something something dumb dumb like that. But uh-huh. but I think the stories that I would tell them that were more meaningful are two. And one was when I was a sophomore in high, high school, we were playing a game at Yucca Valley and it was, the wind was blowing and raining. It was almost like snowing. It was that mm-hmm. cold. And grandpa had a couple of open heart surgeries. He was battling bone marrow cancer. He was really in bad shape. And he watched the first half of the game. And I, and my mom went to my grandpa and said, dad, let's go in the car and watch Sean play the game in the second half. It's too cold for you out here. And my grandpa, he looked at my mom and he just said, if Sean can stay out here and play, then I can stay out here and watch him. And, and that's just the, that's just the, the quiet strength that he had. And, and, um, the last two years he was alive, the trash day was Thursday. And, um, I would get up an hour early and drive by his house because he had a difficult time bringing the cans out to the street. So I'd get there early and I'd bring, the cans out and grandma had, had made us some breakfast and, uh, grandpa was going through chemotherapy and, uh, you know, something upset his stomach and he ran over to the kitchen sink and he, he threw up in the, in the sink. So he comes back over and he looks at me and he reaches out his hand to me and he says, I'm so sorry, honey. I hope I didn't spoil your breakfast. I mean, here he was, a man dying of cancer, his, you know, he, he's just so frail and weak. He's on the verge of dying. And the only thing he could think about, the only thing he was concerned about was whether or not he had spoiled my breakfast. And, and those are the things that I remember. And I was 26 years old when he passed away on February 17th, 1985. And, and, uh, honestly, Sean, I think I cried for him for probably 10 years. And, and, and I think it was, I know it was too long, but I just had such a connection with him. He was such a quiet, amazing man. And, um, uh, I think he was, he, he had more of an influence on my life really than anybody else. And like I said, I learned a long time ago that when I grow up, I wanted to be just like Grandpa Armour. So, so through your, your, you're being a young parent and everything. You guys aren't new to having, you know, kind of tragic events happen. I know that uh, when I had, when I met you, you, uh, when I, when I married Jennifer, um, you were talking about wanting to bring a Ronald McDonald house to the Temecula Valley area. Um, can you explain what happened to make that, to have that in your, in your heart to, to bring something like a Ronald McDonald house? Sure. Can you explain what a Ronald McDonald house is? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, actually, um, yeah, I'll tell the story and it has to do with your wife, Jennifer, (laughs) you know, um, you know, we were, we were, um, we had, we'd been married probably 15, 20 years or so. And, uh, this was in, um, February of 1997 and Jennifer was only 13 years old at the time. And she was on her way to a soccer tournament in Moreno Valley and she was on the 215 freeway uh, in the Paris area and a car hit them from behind. A guy was driving crazy going about 85 miles an hour 
and hit their car. It went off the freeway, up an on-ramp, flew over the on-ramp, landed in a dirt road, and Jennifer, she had her seatbelt on, but the force was so great that it snapped the steel bars in the back. It ejected her from the vehicle. She landed on her face, and had it been an asphalt road, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have made it. Um, but she had broke two discs in her back. She had hemorrhaging on her brain. She busted her cheekbone. She was unconscious, and she was immediately airlifted to the Ronald McDonald House in in Loma Linda. And uh, so we get the phone call. And the one thing I remember, Sean, is the moment we got the phone call, Jacob fell right to his knees and began to pray for his sister. And so we're driving to the hospital. We're an hour away. And we know that two people were taken to Riverside General, but only one was airlifted to Loma Linda, and that one was Jennifer. So we knew it was a life-or-death situation, and Jacob began singing hymns in the back of the car and telling us, don't worry, Mom, don't worry, Dad. God told me that Jennifer was going to be okay. So we get to the hospital. We go into the intensive care, and honestly, Sean, it looked like somebody taking a baseball bat to Jennifer. You couldn't tell where her nose ended and where her face was because it had swollen up uh, so much on one side of her face. And it was a touch-and-go situation. She was unconscious for three days. And the very first time that she was con- without, she could respond to us, she couldn't talk, her eyes were closed, but Stephanie had one hand on one side of the bed, and I had one hand on the other, and I whispered in, the, in her ear, I said, Jennifer, Everyone in Temecula is praying for you, and we all love you. And I said, we are not leaving this hospital without you. And Jennifer put her thumb up. And when she put her thumb up, that was the first time, because we were told that 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 she had brain damage, and we didn't know whether she was going to ever be able to talk or think. And the fact that she was able to raise her thumb... It's amazing the small things that you take in, in, in situations like that. And then two days later, she woke up at three o'clock in the morning and she said she wanted her mommy and daddy. And we were staying at a Ronald McDonald house, which, which is basically, you can think of it like a home away from home. It was a, like a small motel. It had like 20 to 25 rooms and we were staying in a room, which basically it's a place where loved ones can stay where families can stay when they have a loved one that's in a life or death situation. And this was definitely life and death. And to get that call was so amazing. We were able to immediately be there with Jennifer and, uh, God began the healing process in Jennifer's life. And she was there for 30 days. So we stayed at a Ronald McDonald house for a month until she was, was able to come home and, Obviously, as a result of that, we became huge fans and huge supporters of the Ronald McDonald House and their program. And so we supported them for many years. And to fast forward to to our current situation is that um, we were uh, in 2006, probably mid-2006, I received a phone call from a representative from the Ronald McDonald house in Loma Linda, and they were going to have a fundraising event in Temecula. And they asked if I would be 
if I would speak at this event, you know, to support the Ronald McDonald House. I said, absolutely, I'd love to. And so it had been set up for about four months. And so I was getting ready to, you know, say some positive things, talk about. The idea was to tell Jennifer's story. Mm -hmm. You were going to be there. Right. And and Danny, who Danny was only like a year old, the plan was to to talk about what happened, how God had been faithful, how we had stayed at the Ronald McDonald House, and we were going to introduce you and Jennifer and Danny, and it was going to be this real positive thing. So one week before this event, unfortunately, tragedy struck our family twice. We get a phone call at 4.15 a.m. in the morning. Um, Jacob was in a terrible automobile accident. And I, I, I just remember when I got the call, Jacqueline, our youngest daughter, come running up, running up the stairs and came in yelling as loud as she could, not again, not again. And, mm-hmm. and of course, mom, Stephanie was, was, was very upset as well. But I was just, okay, we've done this before. We're going to, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. I, you know, we've been down this road once. We'll go down it again and we're going to get through it. And so, I mean, maybe I was partly in shock. I don't know, but but I just said we're going to get through this. We got down to the to the hospital, and you know they didn't have a Ronald McDonald House there, which you know, and we knew what that what that meant, but it didn't matter. And uh, we we were just going to stay in the waiting room. We were not leaving the hospital without Jacob, just like we weren't going to leave the hospital without Jennifer previously, and. uh Unfortunately, um, Jacob died from his injuries within 24 hours, and uh, um, it was one of those things where he just wasn't able to survive. But going through both experiences and seeing that how amazing the Ronald McDonald House was for our family with Jennifer, and then not having that type of facility at, at the hospital in Escondido, that's when we made a commitment that we need to bring a, Mon- a Ronald McDonald house to Temecula. And the crazy, amazing thing, Sean, is that Jacob died that early Sunday morning. Thursday, we had the memorial service for Jake. And um, during that week, I had signed papers to have Jacob cremated. And this th- this function is on Saturday. And of course, there's there there's no way I'm going to go to this function right. on Saturday. I'm yeah. not going. But the closer that I got, the more Sean I felt God telling me to go. Go. I want you to go. And I'm thinking, why would I go to this? I don't want to see anybody. I was angry, frustrated, upset, and the last thing in the world I wanted to do was to see anybody, let alone get up in front of 1,500 people and talk about the Ronald McDonald program. But I finally, that Saturday, I remember calling the gal who was organizing the event, and I said, we're coming. And she was in shock. Mm -hmm. She's like, you're going to come? And I said, yeah, we're coming. So showed up to the event. I think you were there. Yeah. I think you and Jennifer and Danny were there. You guys were there. Jackie was there. And I got up and told the story of of what the Ronald McDonald House meant to uh, our family and Jennifer's story and everybody's smiling and and then I told everybody what happened to our son seven days earlier. And what I remember about that is that there was like this gasp. I mean, 
this like complete loud gasp and everybody totally silent. And then that's when really, I think I realized why God wanted me to be there because we're building a new hospital in the city of Temecula. And it just hit me. And I just said, we need to build a Ronald McDonald house in Temecula. We have a new hospital that's being built. And so the idea of building a new house to support families in crisis came from that night at Ponte Winery when when we were obedient to what God was telling us to do to tell about that story. But it morphed to Jacob's house because we found out we met with Ronald McDonald Corporate and they told us that they would not come to Temecula because the new hospital wasn't a children's hospital. And so we felt like we had kind of hit a a block wall and the community came to me and said, Sean, let's build our own house and let's build it. Not just if you've got children that are in a life or death situation, but adults, senior citizens. And I said, great, let's do it. And they said, one more thing. We want to call the new house Jacob's house. And so Sean, that's really how it started. That's the whole, you know, the real whole backstory, but it started with the tragedy with Jennifer and then it, really manifested itself after Jacob passed away. And now we're a, we're a nonprofit foundation. We've, we've been at it now for six years and we're very excited about what God has in store for us in the future. Yeah. Well, I want to, uh, we're going to take a, a break here and I want to come back and we'll talk, I want to talk more about, uh, about Jacob. I'll talk more about the, the night and then I want to dive into your, your faith and how a tragedy like this can, you know, one can, cause a lot of people fall away from their faith or, or abandon their faith. You actually, I, I feel like it uh, strengthened your faith. So I'm going to come back and talk about that. Um, right now, though, uh, take a break. We're going to play um, one of my friends, Matt Baird, uh, is in a band called Spoken, but he also does worship music. So I wanted to uh, showcase his, his music on the show right now. Uh, so this is Matt Baird with the song Worship You on the AXPX podcast. We'll be talking to back talking to Sean Nelson right after this. You have my I love you 
That was Matt Baird with the song Worship You. You can find his music over at noisetrade.com slash Matt Baird. It's spelled B-A-I-R-D. And find his music there. He has three songs, one live and two recorded. Um, So check out his music there. All right. um, Back talking to Sean Nelson. We just got done talking about um, his kind of young life and his his family and, and kind of his journey to Jacob's house. What I want to do is, is take kind of go back to the night of Jacob's accident. Uh, first, I'll, first, if you can just let, let us know, like, cause I knew Jacob personally, who, what kind of a, what kind of a man was, was Jacob? Wow. Um, Jacob was, Jacob was one of the most tender hearted, sensitive people that I ever knew. His heart was, was so special as a kid growing up. And, and he went through some difficult times because only because he was shorter than other kids and he was bullied quite a bit through high school. And I think that that really had um, an effect on him in his life. And he couldn't understand why people would be so mean for no good reason. And Jacob was the kind of kid that he always looked out for the best interests of others. And he always looked out for kids that maybe weren't as popular or whatever I mean, that that was just kind of his nature. And so I think what happened is going through that, it tested his faith a little bit. And so as, as a result of that, he began, I think, like a lot of teens, to experiment with different things, primarily with alcohol. I mean, you know, I think... He also began to smoke. Smoke. He was doing that as well. So smoking and alcohol. He he didn't have have much experience with, with with drugs, but mainly with smoking and alcohol. And I think that definitely had an impact on him. And so from sixteen to eighteen, I think he was really trying to find himself. And when he graduated from high school, he decided to go into the Aspire program through our church and really have a dedicated basically dedicating his life to ministry. And so I think that year that Jacob was involved with that, that was really a good thing for him. But at the end of that time, he was still trying to find himself. And I think I think what happens is, especially during the teenage years, you kind of go through this phase and it's, you know, for some people it starts at 16, some at 14, and it can go to 21 to 24 to 30. I mean, it really, there's there's a journey there where you have to make a decision about what kind of person you're going to be in life. And I think that's, I think we all go through that. And and I think Jacob went through that and he would turn to alcohol and, and Jacob used alcohol in a way to try to mask the, the, the hurts and the challenges that he was going through. But the great thing, Sean, about about Jacob was that he really began to turn the corner in his life and he was going down a real positive place. In fact, the day Jacob passed away, he had sent his mom and I an an email that talked about the goals that he had for his life the day he passed away. And one of the goals was to find his purpose in life and and with the intention to accomplish it and to be a person of fitness, to be able to take care of himself. His fifth goal was to be a man of wisdom 
that people could turn to for advice and understanding. And his very last goal was to make my mom and dad proud of me. 24 years old. He was wise, Sean, beyond his years. And he was, he had just bought a new truck. He was, he was working in, in, with a land development company. Things were really starting to turn in his life. And I think he was really starting to get that wisdom that would help him to advance him in his life. Um, in fact, I think he was in such a good place that that night he went out, he worked after work. He was drinking with some of his friends. He was under the influence of alcohol and he ended up rolling his truck in the accident and uh, he passed away. And, you know, it's interesting because there are people today that, that are, that have a tendency to criticize us and, and our, in our movement, just because they claim that we haven't said enough that, that Jacob was under the influence at the time of the accident. And, and we always really felt like that doesn't really matter. It isn't, it isn't about, that has nothing to do with helping families. And it isn't about how he died, but, but really about how he did, about how he lived. And so, and so that's really been the focus of, of, of Jacob's house. But I will tell you this much that traumatic crisis really forces you to your knees and forces you to the core of who you are to really make a decision about how you believe and how strong your faith is. Well, that's what I want to kind of dive into here. Um, when, now we're going to, you know, this is hard for me to even talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just listening, you know. But the night that, that Jacob died, um, what was going through your mind as far as you know, why would God allow this to happen? Did you have those thoughts? I mean, sure. but, but what was going through your mind? Well, the first thing that popped into my mind was when we were about ready to take him off of life support. I put my arms around him and I whispered in his ear and I said, Jacob, I'm not going to say goodbye to you. This is not goodbye. Do you hear me? I will see you again. I will see you on that perfect day, son. This is not goodbye. So, so right off the bat, you know, I, I, I made a decision in my own mind that, that this is just a separation in time, but it's not the final goodbye. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine thinking that that would be the uh, final goodbye. And, and, and in the subsequent days and, 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 and this is when something like this happens, and 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 I I believe this is obviously probably the the worst thing that could possibly happen to anyone is losing a child. But but the enemy, I believe, the enemy is their whole goal is to kick you when you're down and to take you out. And the, I believe the whole point of this experience is. Can we hang on to our faith when life doesn't make sense, when God doesn't make sense? Can we still hang on to our faith? Because I've come to the conclusion that the easiest thing you can do is let go. Because there are so many things in life that don't make sense. And what good could possibly come from not having our boy with us? What what good could that cause? And so, 
And so from that standpoint, you know, the enemy constantly was saying that God doesn't care about you. He, he, he let you down. Um, he abandoned you. And so all of those things are constantly there. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's just been a matter of, of when the hurricane winds are blowing, like I said, Sean, the easiest thing to do is really is to let go of your faith. That's easy. And I, and, and there are a lot of people out there, maybe people that will listen to this program. They're discouraged. They're, they're worn out. They're fatigued. They don't understand why a loving God would allow the things to happen that, 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 that happened, that's happened to them. And I guess what I would say to that is what I've learned is that I still believe there's a God and I believe that there's a reason and a purpose for everything that happens in our lives. And the thing is, we may not know that now and we may not understand it now, but I do believe that there will be a day when it's all going to make sense. And the one thing that I can say is that if you look at just the situation with Jacob from an eternal perspective, obviously as parents, we would much rather have Jacob and you know, that's not even up for discussion, but today we bought a home. We've raised $280,000. We're getting ready to have three to four families at a time that are going to be staying with us that will be able to be a refuge and a, and a, inspiration and support to those families, Sean, there will be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families that we're going to touch through Jacob's house that obviously would have never been touched had it not been for this tragedy. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that all things work together for good. And really it comes down to a choice. And that choice that each of us make is Are we going to quit and give up? Are we going to lose heart? Or are we going to hang on to our faith? And our faith is the foundation of everything that we are. And when you lose your faith, I believe you lose everything that really is the essence and the meaning for why God placed us here in the first place. And is it easy to hang on to your faith? No, it's not. In fact, the easiest thing is to quit and to give up and to let go. And I believe that's why God placed us here. When you were dealing with uh, the grief and everything um, that came along with it, what did you, what did you turn to? You know, the weeks and months after Jacob's death that helped you. That's a good question. Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good question. I probably was given thirty different grief books. Thirty. <laughs> yeah. I read them all. Yeah. No, I I, I read. I read so many different, um, cause, cause, cause we were searching. Mm-hmm. Mom was searching. I was searching. We were looking for an answer. And, um, by the time I was done, I was so confused. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't know anything. I was so confused by everything that I heard. You know, I, I, you know, you know, I kind of went full circle that, Things just happen and there's nothing you can do about it to, uh, to finally turning to God's word and really realizing that there is a reason, there is a purpose 
for things that go on, we just don't understand. God's ways are so high and so much above us that I finally found comfort in God's holy word. And that's really where I, that's really where I decided to stay because Mm -hmm. um, everywhere else, to me, I got nothing but confusion. And somebody could say, well, well, how can you say that you're not confused because you don't know the answers? My faith has got me to a point of where I'm really okay that I don't have all the answers because I'm at a place where I can trust that God is in control, that there is a reason and a purpose. And what I'm going to do is for however long that I'm going to be on this planet, I'm going to spend my days trying to do things that aren't about myself, Mm -hmm. that are about really trying to reach out to help other people. And I've really found that I feel genuine joy only when I'm doing things that aren't about myself. And when I begin to focus too much on the things that that bother me, obviously living every day without Jacob, mm-hmm. if I focus on that, that'll have a tendency to take me out. And And as you know, Sean, we have so many blessings in our life. I mean, amazing daughters, amazing son-in-laws, beautiful grandkids. Um, I mean, we have so much to be grateful and thankful for. And the enemy will always try to keep right in front of you the thing that bothers you the most, the thing that takes you out. And so and so I've really found so much comfort and peace in God's word. And I spend my time daily in his word, allowing him to speak to me and then meditating on that word. And I found that that's been a lifesaver. There's I all I can say, Sean, is that it's been six years and three months since we lost our boy. Um but we know where he is and we look forward to that perfect day when we're gonna be with him again. What are some of your favorite um scripture verses that give you the most kind of comfort? You know, when if you're having right. having a rough day or or, you know, there, we all have good and bad days, you know, and right. especially around holidays and in October's a rough month. Right. What are some of the verses that you read that really right. connect with you and, and give you the most comfort? Well, um, my, my, my favorite is my favorite verse is Proverbs 418, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. And what that Scripture tells us, it gives us a, pro, uh, a a promise that you go down this path, God's going to light that path, and as you continue to go down it, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, no matter how many troubles are along the way, if you stay on that path, there will be that perfect day when we're all going to be together again. And that gives me more comfort than any, than anything else. The other thing is, I, I think you know this, is that I've read a chapter in Proverbs virtually every day for the past 25 years. And that has given me so much comfort as well, because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and you basically have a chapter a day. You can basically read the whole book in a month. And I've been reading that book over and over and over again for more than two and a half decades now. Mm-hmm. And there's always additional wisdom and and 
discernment that comes from that book. And so, you know, I would encourage anyone, if you're having challenges in your life, to get to spend five minutes, ten minutes a day in God's Word and 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 read the New Testament, read Proverbs, because I believe that God imparts wisdom and discernment to us even when when, when we don't remember what we what we've even read. But I really believe that for me, the Bible's been a huge source of comfort for me going through this. Um, we're going to take one more break. And I'm going to come back and I want to talk about um, your book and uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about Jacob's house. So this is Matt Baird one more time. Uh, the song is called Creator of All. And like I said, it's available on Noise Trade, noisetrade.com slash Matt Baird, B-A-I-R-D. You're listening to the AXPX Podcast. chance to start again, to breathe again. I need a new way, something to start my heart again, to beat again. I lift my eyes to you, creator of all. I lift my eyes to you, creator of all. I'll be waiting, even when it's hard to do, I'll wait for you. I am taken, taken by a love so true, I'm loved by you. open wide we will love you forever we lift our hands to the sky so now we give you our lives we will love you forever Hands to the sky, 
with our arms open wide We will love you forever We lift our hands to the sky So now we give you our lives We will love you forever That was Matt Baird with the song Creator of All from his uh, unreleased volume one little EP up on Noise Trade. Go to noisetrade.com slash Matt, B-A-I-R-D, to grab that. I'm talking with Sean Nelson, and um, um, I want to dive into now, because during during the time of, of grief, once when Jacob passed away, I think you were, you were finding a lot of things to help help fill that or, or to take the grief and turn around and move it to something more positive. Right, right. You guys got involved with, uh, there's a grief group, uh, grief group called Heaven Bound. Right. And that you found that I, just being a part of the family, just that seemed to be a you know a help to to you guys. And then you also wrote a book called Live to Soar. Um, and this was something you'd had on your mind before Jacob had passed away. What what was your goal with Live to Soar? Right. Well, you know, the idea was was to try to write a book where to try to help people have balance in their lives to to basically understand your meaning and purpose for being here and to not be running so fast after the things of this world that you forget to see the the amazing, beautiful things that are right in front of us. And so it, it was really to try to help people live their lives in a more meaningful and significant way based upon biblical principles. And it was uh, defining your purpose in life implementing wisdom into every facet of your life, which is what I was talking about, mm-hmm. reading Proverbs on a daily basis to allow God. I mean, to to set goals, but not just to set goals for from a worldly point of view, because what good is it to make a million dollars a year by the time you're age 40 if you're only going to use, use it for selfish purposes? Mm-hmm. So the idea is understanding why it is that God placed you here, and then to have your goals connect to that mission and purpose for why you're here. And then once you have those goals, to implement wisdom into every facet of your life. And the idea is if you make good decisions day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you begin to build this character. And what I the, the, the third component is to become essentially a person of character, which is doing the right thing when no one is watching. And then is if you become a, a person of character, then doesn't it make sense that God's going to want to place you in a position of authority so you can now have a positive influence on other people? And the fourth component was to become an attractive leader, and there's a lot of different areas related to uh, leadership. And then financial stability was the fifth component, which of course is recognizing that by allowing to take the first fruits that God has blessed you with and investing it in things that help to further his cause is so significant in what we do. And also there's blessings that come along with that. And then the sixth component was physical revitalization because obviously taking care of our body from a physical standpoint is so important. It doesn't make sense to plan for your financial future if you don't have the health and well-being to be able to enjoy (laughs) it, right? And then the seventh component was lifestyle balance, being able to make sure that you have everything in the proper context. And I didn't see this book as a, like a building block Uh type thing, but more of like a, a uh, helicopter propeller. And all of these components 
all integrate with one another. And it takes you, once you get to lifestyle balance, it takes you right back and connects to having purpose in your life. And so, yeah, I was working on this, this concept. And when, and the idea is when turbulence strikes our lives, when trials strike, strike our life, you have this, these blades of balance, right? And you begin to rise above the storms in life. But when these storms hit, instead of crashing and burning, you're balanced and you're able to rise above those storms and get to that place. You know how you're in a plane and you hit turbulence, but once you get up to a point, you're above the clouds and you can see the sun and you're at this place of restoration and peace. I remember Sean Jacob was on the was working out and I came in when he was alive and I told him mm-hmm. about these seven components and getting to that place of peace and restoration. And Shawnee looked at me and tears just started coming down his eyes. I said, Jake, you okay? He said, dad, he said, I want to be at a place of restoration and peace. And I said, Jacob, then all you got to do is get to that point to where you allow God to lead and guide, guide you in your life. And I gave Jacob, you talked about scriptures. I'll, t- I'll mm-hmm. give you another one. Galatians 6, 9. It says, the righteous reap a sure reward if you faint not, if you don't quit, mm-hmm. if you don't give up. And I, and, and, and I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I believe that I'm uniquely qualified to be able to tell anyone in this world that if you don't quit and you don't give up, there is going to be a perfect day mm-hmm. when we're going to be together again. And if you quit, you may think that it doesn't matter, that nobody cares. What I found out, especially if you're a parent, your kids never stop watching you. Your grandkids never stop watching you. And the one thing that that I know is that when Danny or Jacob Armour, or Noah, you any one of your three kids, one day when they go through grief, when they go through tragedy, my prayer is that, that they're going to say, I'm not going to quit because my papa didn't quit, mm-hmm. because my gaga didn't quit, mm-hmm. because, they, because I saw them lose a son and not give up, and I'm not going to give up because they didn't. Yeah. I want to be, definitely want to be an inspiration to our family as well. Yeah. Well, you were actually at, at um, before before Jacob passed away, you were working on Significant uh, with the church, and that was, uh, I think that was a huge part in having Jacob write out his goals and everything like that. Yeah, he was, too, at, because, he, he was at the first Significant workshop, Yeah, and that was the whole part of it. And so, you know, he... He was working with with another gentleman mm-hmm. who was also at the uh, mm-hmm. at the workshop. Mike Mike Nagar was there as well, and so Mike had had mentioned to Jacob, "You know what, Jacob? I think it'd be a good idea for you to write down your goals." And I think it's such a blessing, and I'm so grateful to God that that we have this email from Jacob that identified and laid out what his goals were for his life. And if you look at those goals. Mm-hmm. They are goals that you would normally see from somebody that's 50 or 60 years old that's very wise, lived his or her life, and really wants to make a difference in this world. And it was so amazing to me that at 24 years old, Jacob had got to that point in his life. 
And so for me anyway, Sean, it's an inspiration for what Jacob wrote. And, and I really feel that that was exactly what we wanted out of SignifiQuest. And of course, SignifiQuest became the building blocks for live, yeah. live to soar. Yeah. Um, I'll be putting, I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. If you're interested in checking it out, um, you can go to live and, and find that, find that there if you're interested. Um, so th- this whole journey and everything kind of ramped up and, and Jacob's ass is kind of the fruition of, uh, a lot of hard work, right. inspiration, uh, grief and, and tragedy. Um, you had a board of, is it a board of directors right. that you gathered when you were mm-hmm. trying to get the Ronald McDonald's house, right. Ronald McDonald house. Um, so if you trying to think of everything we've covered so far, if you want to bring, bring us through to, uh, the, your speech at Ponte winery. Right. And then where we are today, today with, with JGSS, sure. we may be repeating ourselves a little bit, but you know, it's kind of the, the final building block. Right. You've gone through all this grief. Right. And instead of uh, pushing this grief into something non-productive or uh, self-depreciating or right. you know, beating yourself up and being defeated, you took all this energy and, and just went full bore into Jacob's house. Right. Um, so if you can just, just give us the, the trajectory of, of Jacob's house. <clears throat> well, I think right after the Ponte Winery event, it, it probably, Sean, it wasn't more than a couple of months, I was asked to be the, the keynote speaker at the Mayor's Prayer Breakfast in 2007. It was on March 29th, 2007. And I mean... The mayor's prayer breakfast in the Temecula Valley is a big deal. There's, there was over 600 people that, that, that was at the event. And I basically entitled it Experiencing God. And a lot of the things that I spoke at the prayer breakfast, you know, I just talked about on, on today's program as well. But it was at that event that I talked about starting Jacob's house. And actually, that was on a Thursday, the following Wednesday. So that was in April of mm-hmm. 2007. We had our first kickoff meeting to begin Jacob's House, and we've been at it now for six years, and um, we raised over $280,000, and um, the ultimate goal was to build a $9 million, 23-room, 35,000-square-foot facility so we could accommodate up to 23 families at a time. And so that was really our focus and I think over time, over the last six years, um, we kind of found out that before you get to Mount Everest, you got to get to base camp, <laughs> you know? Right. So you got to get to base camp first. And and I'll tell you, Sean, there were many ups and downs along the way. And I always tell the story of, we had a guy, Terry Gilmore, um, through Paradise Chevrolet that donated a brand new Chevy Volt car to Jacob's mm-hmm. house. It's a $40,000 car. And we were selling tickets, $20 a ticket uh, for a drawing. And we ended up raising about $35,000 off of that donation, uh-huh. which which was great. But I remember one day that I went to um, a youth football tournament in Murrieta. There were 75 teams there. I set up a, a pop-up tent, and, and we were there, um, got there at 8 a.m. in the morning, stayed there till 8 p.m. that night, 12 hours, did not sell one ticket, <laughs> not one ticket. And I remember getting in my car driving home, coming into the bedroom, just falling flat on my face in the bed and just sobbing and saying, God, what are we doing? We don't have our son. We're never going to, you know, we're, we're never going to make this thing happen. And then, um, 
when I retired from the city of Temecula, I retired last year and mom and I were talking, Sean, and we were seriously, seriously thinking about stopping this effort because we'd been at it for five years and it just seemed like we were going nowhere and to build a $9 million facility at this rate, it'll take about 400 years, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so we're just, we're, we're discouraged. And all of a sudden we get a phone call one day out of the clear blue, a company located in Orange County, Southland Industries was having an annual golf tournament and they wanted Jacob's house to be their beneficiary. We went down one time at the end of the tournament and just shared our story, and they gave us a check for $73,000, right? Just one check. And then we began to look at existing residential homes, and as you know, we found this amazing, beautiful 3,800-square-foot single-family, a single-story home that's on 2.3 acres of land that's 0.6 miles from the hospital. It's an absolute perfect location, completely laid out perfectly for Jacob's house. And we were, we were able to put 30% down, uh, plus closing costs, about $250,000 mm-hmm. down. We got a, a loan from Mission Oaks Bank, a local bank within the Temecula Valley area. And uh, we closed escrow into December. We're going to have a, we had our media day where we made our public announcement a couple Fridays ago, letting the, the public know that we now have our new home. And so now we're planning a community open house event. We're we're looking at fully uh, furnishing and equipping the new house. And our goal is when the new hospital opens in the fall, they're saying October of 2013, the goal is that we're going to be fully open and operational. We're going to be hiring an executive director. We're putting together a business plan, getting all of our policies and procedures put into place. And so... It's been a it's been a long six years, yeah. And and there've been many, many ups and downs along the way. But um, when Jacob graduated from high school, we gave him a we gave him this scripture. It said, "Go the distance, for the Lord will be thy confidence." And that's in Proverbs uh, three twenty six. For the Lord will be thy confidence. Go the distance. And I always thought that that scripture was for Jacob. We gave it to him when he graduated from high school. We said, go the distance, go the distance. And when Jacob was in the Spire program, he had 10 goals for his life. He's 19 years old. Goal number one, change the world. And I remember, I remember, <laughs> Sean, I remember looking at that goal, change the world, and I said, wow. And I knew I didn't possess the courage I didn't have the faith. I didn't have the belief that I could change the world. And here was this little man, you know, just graduating from high school, his first goal, he's going to change the world. And so I said, okay, I'm going to sit back behind the scenes. I'm going to support this little guy and I'm going to watch our son go out and change the world. And so when he passed away, it was like, I don't understand. I mean, I mean, now what? Mm Mm-hmm. And gearing up for his memorial service, at the end of, you know, I got up and spoke. And the very last thing is, is I just realized Jacob's goal is now my goal. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the world. Yeah. And Sean, you change the world one life at a time. You change the world one family at a time. 
and this thing of going the distance, not quitting, not giving up, for the Lord will be thy confidence. I can't imagine living life without my faith. And I can tell you, without my faith, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be with my family. Mm -hmm. Because, because Sean, think about it. I mean, you know, I know you've interviewed people who are atheists, who don't believe in God. And, 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 and if you really think about that, if you don't have any hope for the future, if you don't believe that there's something more, if you really don't believe that, then really there's, there's no meaning. There's no purpose. It's all pointless. And yeah, you can say that, well, it can be viewed as a freeing thing that will allow you to, uh, you know, not worry about things mm-hmm. and you can still be a good person. And that's true. You could, you can, but the flip side of that is you can do whatever you want in terms of how you live and there's no consequence. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. So it really doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, we're, we're the same as let's say animals are on this planet because it really doesn't matter whatever we do. And I don't believe that because there's, there's an instinct, Sean, that's inside every one of us as human beings that makes us different, I believe, from animals. That there, there is a, uh, a soul that's inside of us. And I totally, completely understand completely why anyone would say, I don't believe there's a God. Because life is tough. And the things that happen to us make us angry, make us upset, make us frustrated, make us bitter. And all of those things are completely understandable. And believe me, the enemy attacked me, attacked mom, constantly saying that God let us down Mm -hmm. and that, and that God abandoned us when, when we needed him the most, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and for mom, Stephanie, she always said, if there was ever a person that deserved to be a father to his son, Sean, it's you. And I just can't understand why God would ever allow this to happen to you and and to happen to our family. And I'll just say it right now. I don't have all the answers. Yeah. And do we want Jacob instead of Jacob's house? Yes. But if you really think about it from an, from an eternal perspective, Jacob's where we want to be. He's not suffering. And because of this tragedy, hundreds and literally thousands of families' lives are going to be impacted in a positive way mm-hmm. from an eternal perspective. And you see, that's the thing that that we have to try to recognize, that we don't understand why things happen the way we do. And that's why we got to hang on to our faith. We got to not quit. We got to not give up. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to get to this earlier, but I, I totally breezed over and forgot. But um but shortly after Jacob died, um, you guys found a videotape, right, of him of him speaking. Oh yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that? Because that I think that was another. He talks about fences, and we run in, running into fences in our lives, and that was another kind of catalyst bringing us all the way through here. Um, right. What, what can you explain? What he was? Well, it, you know what it was in. It was in May of two thousand and two, and he was speaking to about two hundred kids, yeah. and and. and 
and uh, mom and I were there and he was talking about running into fences in life. And he tells a story of how he was playing ball with his friend and his friend threw this ball. He went long. It was a glow in the dark football. Yeah. And there were some girls that were watching him and he was thinking more about trying to impress the girls than he was thinking about the fact that there was a fence a chain link fence right. that was blocking off some new buildings that they were building at the at the elementary school and he knew the fence was there but his mind got cluttered with other things he was thinking about impressing the girls he was looking at the ball and he wasn't watching where he was going mm-hmm. and it was an amazing amazing analogy to in life sometimes um if we get our eyes off of of the path that God wants us to go down and we allow other things to clutter our minds and to, and to get us off track, we're going to run into fences and there's going to be things that we could have avoided um, that we didn't avoid because we didn't stay focused on mm-hmm. God. And what Jacob said about this fence is that there was a hole at the bottom. So if the ball went over the fence, you could just go through the hole and get the ball and come back. Right. No problem. Right. right. But if you're running full speed and you're not looking at the fence and you're looking at other things, you can end up having a pretty bad accident. And then the, the, the thing with Jacob, he had pitcher day the next day <laughs> and the chain leak marks on his face yeah. were, you know, forever remembered with his fifth grade pitcher. So, but the other thing that Jacob said that night, Sean, that was so prophetic he said, but sometimes there will be fences that we can't see. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those fences will be devastating for your entire life. A fence that you just can't bounce back from. And he goes in like a father dies mm-hmm. or a mother dies or a divorce in the family or a car accident. And then he said, and you got to, and, and you have to know how to deal with that. He said, God's not to blame, and he's holding the Bible, but he said, God can show you how to maneuver through that fence, how to get by it, how to overcome it. And then he said, how to knock it down. Mm-hmm. And Sean, he was talking about the importance of reading the Bible, and he, he went to Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And it was perfect for what he was talking about, is that God's word will light our path. And without his word, there is no light. And so if you're a person listening to this program and you're trying to maneuver through life and you're trying to do things on your own, you're going to be in store for big problems in your life. But when you allow God's word to light your path, that places you in the absolute best position to be able to deal with all the challenges that are coming. Because in Proverbs, it says, it doesn't say, it says when calamity comes, not if, but when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But then it goes on to say, but even in death, the righteous have a refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sean, those those promises are not being religious. Mm -hmm. It isn't about going to church or just being religious. It's about allowing those promises to, to become a part of who you are. 
and Pastor Gary Martin, what he said, I'll never forget this. He says, when life squeezes you, when life squeezes us, what comes out of us is the true essence of who we are. And if we spend time daily in God's word and allowing his word to to feed us and to become a part of who we are, not just on the outside, on the outside, but in the inside, when no one is watching us and that becomes the essence of who we are, one of the most profound things that anyone ever said to me that made me feel so good about myself was mom, Stephanie. She said, Sean, when God squeezed, when you got squeezed, what came out of you was good. Mm-hmm. And Sean, that's, that's, that's what I want my kids, my grandkids, and anyone that's close to me know. I want them to remember that when I was squeezed, what came out of me was good. And I don't say that in a prideful way. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, because, because I have my own faults like everybody else and I make many mistakes. But the point is that I can't imagine, and I can't imagine anyone listening listening to this program, imagine trying to go one day without knowing that God's in control of my life. And I want to say one other thing too, Sean, this issue about, about God mm-hmm. is um, the person that was on the program previously had talked about that Christianity is really kind of a crutch and it's more of a coping me- mechanism, but the real test of the question is, is God real? Mm-hmm. And I would say to that is to just look at the universe, look at nature, look at the symmetry and the amazing perfect perfection of how God placed and set this planet up. Gravity, the thing that holds everything together. Science knows what it does but it has no idea where it comes from. You know, and the fact that the earth is tilted and the moon is spinning around and keeping in the perfect 23 degree axis, because if it wasn't for that, we half the planet would burn up and the other half would be freezing. The reason we survive is because there's a moon that's keeping it in perfect, uh, in that perfect tilt Mm -hmm. in relation to the sun and Sean, the sun has been burning at the same temperature for 4 billion years not any hotter not any colder keeping us keeping us alive i mean i could go on and on and on but if you really looked at nature the solar system the complexity of our human body and everything to even think that there was not some type of intelligence associated with the 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 amazing miracle that we're here, if you look at it strictly in the laws of probability, it's in one in the billions that it happened by chance. And I remember reading something, you know, when you clean your garage, you yeah. clean your garage, that took intelligent effort, right? But when you don't do anything else, look at your garage six months or nine months later, right? It's just chaos. And And whenever you have just by chance, there's always chaos and disorder. Intelligence, Sean, is always about symmetry and perfection and perfect working order and the, the, the earth spinning, 
65,000 uh, are traveling 65,000 miles per hour and spinning at the same speed and staying in the same proximity mm-hmm. to the sun that's burning in the same degrees and the moon spinning around the earth and all of it in perfect symmetry to think for one moment that that's something that happened by chance in my view mm-hmm. is just completely avoiding the absolute obvious that there was intelligence associated with that and the fact that as human beings we have an innate built-in desire to or or an understanding of right and wrong good and bad and i believe Sean and all of us we intuitively want to do good and want mm-hmm. to do the right thing right and we're being attacked I believe by the enemy and the circumstances in life and really this whole experience is about making a decision about whether or not we're going to hang on to our faith or not. All right. <laughs> and 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 that scripture in um, Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's really, Sean, how we've lived our life. And And I don't spend a lot of time talking about my faith. This is really interesting because we're Mm -hmm. doing a radio program about my faith, but I know you've been around me a lot and I have spoken a lot in certain circumstances, but, but on a daily basis, there are people that know my faith, but they don't know it because of what I say. Mm -hmm. They know it because of the way I live my life. And I really want to live my life to the degree that I can honoring God in everything that I do. And like I said, Sean, that perfect day when when I finally do make it to heaven, I have no doubt that I'm going to see the older, wiser God, and there's going to be a smaller figure next to him, and he's going to let that figure go. And as it, as it comes closer to me, I'm going to see that it's Jacob, and I have no doubt that there's going to be that perfect reunion, yeah. and I can't wait for that perfect day. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for for talking with me about your story and your family story and everything. I know it's uh for me it's it's a uh, it's uh, every time I talk about it. <laughs> yeah. With with Jennifer with you it's uh you know, it's it, it stings for me too and I can only imagine how much more uh it, it, it has stung for you. And for that I I look to you guys as a huge inspiration in my personal life and I you know, I really appreciate um the the rock that you guys have been you know even when you didn't want to be um it's a, it's just a huge testament to to your family and your guys' strength so well well Sean I, I want to say thank you to you too and I and uh, you know I love you and and I'm proud of the man that you are and the father that you are with the, with with the kids and um uh, we're blessed Jennifer's a wonderful young <laughs> woman and Jackie so a beautiful young woman and Kevin and of course Stephanie. Uh, we're, we're, a, we're a blessed family, as you know, in so yeah. many ways. Yep. And we're just, we're just dealing every day with this big hole that's mm-hmm. in our hearts with not having Jacob, but having that love around us is, is, uh, is, is so important. And, yeah. uh, and I'm so proud of you and, 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 and really proud of our family. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we've, we've been through a lot and, um, it's just, it's good that we can talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, again, my guest was Sean Nelson. You can go his book is you can go to livetosore dot com. There should be a link to his book there. Go to Jacob's House dot com to learn more about Jacob's House. 
Um, next week, we'll be talking to Ben Smith. He's the owner of Reclamation Brewery, a Christian <laughs> Christian brew uh, beer brewing company. So that'll be very in- interesting. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening. Again, I want to thank my guest, Sean Nelson, for, for sitting down just uh, having a chat with me about, about his story. Uh, I'll talk to all of you next week. Be safe. Bye-bye. Yeah.